This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 167 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Finish Line Fencing, the original and only warranted horse fence of its kind. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today we have two gritty women who take on great physical challenges every day, knowing that they're doing the right thing. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today again. How are you? Woohoo! I'm doing great. How are you, Debbie? I'm good. I'm good. We had some fun with this episode. I'm, I'm really excited to share it with people because they're just two of my favorite things in the world. I mean, one lady does amazing things with horses with her words. She's a writer. Um, that's with a W, right? <laughs> she writes about them, but she she is with her horses every day, and she really is tr- truly a horsewoman. The other woman is so interesting because she is very British and very much a horse girl, and is very much a Mustang tamer. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a fun episode about ladies doing inspiring things within the oh, yeah. equestrian community that don't judge a book by its cover because both wow. of our guests, if you didn't know them well and you didn't know they were horse crazy people, you would say, okay, that is a successful and influential woman contributing to society in a very mm. positive way. Yeah. They're not, a, they're, they're not at all what I would call typical horse ladies. No, not at all. I mean, Sarah lives in downtown New York. Right. Whoops. <laughs> that, that's an anomaly right there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a spoiler, but you'll get it. And uh, but she's she's got her horses right outside, you know. And and yet she, she is, is pure, totally pure a horse girl. Totally, totally, totally a horse. And totally I don't know what she's in, doing. In and totally immersed in the horseman's and equestrian culture. Yeah. Yet she has this other life. She's it's like oh. there's some kind of duality with both of our guests. It's really neat. That's the truth. That's a great word for it. Duality, too, because uh, I think Francesca, a little bit of a spoiler here, too, you would probably guess that the horsiest thing she would be is dressed up at a polo match, maybe. Yes, she looks you can beautiful. Totally see her in the in the sponsors tent at Burley. Yes, or exactly. in the guest box at the Nations Cup. Yes. Yeah, New yes. Market, something yeah. like that. She's British. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. But are we gonna surprise you with the real horse girls? They're amazing. You will love them. They'll inspire you too. Yes, they will. And speaking of inspiring, and an inspiring product line that we get to learn about here on the show is finish line fencing. And we are going to hear from them before our first guest. I'm with Kim and Lisa again from Finish Line Fencing, and we were just chatting about some of the things that people have been bragging about on the Finish Line Fencing, and I thought, you know what, we should put that all together in one spot, and you just like rattle off all the great things that you tell us about Finish Line Fencing, like how strong it is and how easy to install, but uh, shoot, you you got the floor now. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you, Debbie. Um, so finish line is strong. Um, the standard finish line is 1,250 pounds of tensile strength per strand. Um, finish line XL is 1,850 pounds of tensile strength per strand. Um, it's very, very easy to install. You can use 
any type of post, wood, tea post, um, vinyl, honestly, anything. It's, it's lightweight. Um, finish line only weighs 24 pounds, and that's 2,000 feet on a spool. Finish line XL is a 2,000-foot coil, and it only weighs 30 pounds. Um, it's also weather-resistant. Um, it can withstand UV light temperatures between negative 40 and 130. It never sags. It never loses its tension. It's, it's made in three once you install it, which is the great benefit of it. Um, and there's actually no metal wire in it at all. Um, it's, uh, it does not rust, rot, or corrode. It will not injure your animals the way that a standard high tensile fence would. So it's, it's so much safer. And then one thing that we do always recommend with every installation is a strand of electric. Um, it's made to be as a combination fence with the, the finish line and then the electric. Yeah, so easy to install, lightweight, maintenance-free, no metal wire, no rusting. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know why anybody would choose anything else. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and hedges are hard to maintain I'd rather put up a fence so I'm, I'm glad to see that you're out there and you've been out there for 30 years so where do people find you and how do they get a hold of you to get their custom job done yes yeah, so um, you can find us at finishlinefence.com our Facebook page is finishlinefence and our phone number is 877-625-6100 and um, we have a full shop on our website you can always give us a call we would be happy to get you a quote it is great for the do-it-yourselfers we don't install but most of our customers just do the installation themselves that's how easy it is Francesca Wood grew up in a family of horse lovers, surrounded by steeplechase horses and also show jumping to a high level. Influenced by her father, she was raised with an entirely nonviolent approach to horses and life in general. She was a professional horse person for many years in Europe and the USA, riding show jumpers and competing in three-day events. She trained horses overseen by Monty Roberts before moving to Nevada, where she had a chance to start a wild Mustang on her own. And then she became a tip trainer through the Trainer Incentive Program. Francesca would call Monty occasionally with a question about a Mustang, immediately receiving at least two suggestions, and encouraging the next phone call as needed. Miracles always happened after those calls. Well, welcome, Francesca Wood. I'm so glad to have you on the show. How are you? I'm very well, and thank you. Yep. Very yeah, well. and you're in Virginia right now. Horse girl. Yes, I am. I am. <laughs> Which is Virginia. great. I have to say that out loud because the accent is not quite Virginian. Is that right? No. <laughs> not exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> I've been here a long time, but it's not exactly Virginia. No. Where were you born? Actually, I was born in Portugal. Interesting. No, I'm British. Yeah, I didn't yes. know that. And yes. you grew up, yes. we, we had read to the, our listeners that you grew up with a father who trained and rode steeplechase horses. Was that your first sport too? Or did you start a little more sedately mm, yeah. on a lesson horse? Yeah, I started in the English Pony Club, you know, like everybody did, because that's where everyone sort of started. And there was a local organization of pony clubs everywhere. And so you just went and to all the events and to the camp and all that sort of thing. So, it, you know, it took place in the summers, the camp. But otherwise, so, yeah, there were a lot of competitions. And, yeah, so I started competing in the pony club and went from there. Yeah, yeah, as you would a good English girl. 
living in Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I wasn't actually. I, I just happened to arrive in Portugal. I wasn't supposed to be born there. Oh, I, was I see. Born, <laughs> I was supposed to be born in London. Of but course. I arrived sooner than I was supposed to. <laughs> I see. While my I parents see. were on holiday. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a dual citizenship? Then can you do that? I um, I could I suppose, but I, I think I had I gave up my my Portuguese passport a while ago. I'm, I've never had a reason really to have one. Ah, well, but, they'd be um, lucky to have yeah. you. I, I'm loving your <laughs> I love your your story, Francesca. I've followed you for a while now, um, as a friend and and also as a horsewoman because you you are just the epitome of the people that inspire us. Not only a woman, not only a woman over. 40 at this point, <laughs> and and also out there choosing Mustangs right out of the holding pens and riding endurance and using Mustangs in endurance, and that's why I wanted to have you on. You just have such a long history of working with horses and where you've come and where you've landed in your discipline and probably your career at this point, too, mm-hmm. is, is a place where many, many of us horse girls uh, aspire to be or even just wouldn't it be cool to to know one? And you are one. So so it's well, fun to have you. you. I want people to get to know you a little bit. But the, the, the first part, I think, is that you come from a horse family. So you do have that advantage. And tell us a little bit about those steeplechase horses that your father, it's a different time and different world. Yes, it was. Actually, my father um, trained steeplechase horses and, and rode in Europe as well. And he had the distinction of winning the Pardubici, which is like the Grand National in uh, Czechoslovakia, which is like considered the hardest steeplechase on earth, which was held and is still held and attended by a lot of English people now. And he won that twice on a horse called Remus. Anyway, so he did that. And then he married my mother. And, you know, they trained horses together, really. But he had a, a really nice stable of horses and just a small one, mm-hmm. but he was very—he was a very thoughtful trainer. He was very well-rounded horseman. I mean, he'd ridden in Italy a great deal because he was Italian, and he'd ridden with a lot of the show-jumping people there. And the Caprilli seat, which originated in Italy, was what he was riding back then. I mean, I'm talking in the 40s and stuff, mm-hmm. before people had what they called the forward seat in mm-hmm. England. And so he was very educated as a rider, you know, because they all went as a team and were trained by very, very good horsemen. So he did that as well as, you know, the racing was was something else altogether. But he rode a lot of different disciplines, which was always interesting to me. Yeah. And and you told me that you always felt fortunate that he had a really different approach to horsemanship, a a nonviolent approach. And he he, Mm -hmm. he gifted you with that feeling yes and and that you know i wasn't you know it was what i was used to so i hadn't really seen anything else until one got out into the horse world and you know saw a lot of the things that i'd never seen before you know people going after horses and you know the the usual kind of stuff that used to go on back then mm-hmm. where people just you know if the horse didn't do something well give it a good smack <laughs> and all that kind of thing but, you know, I mean, we never saw it as quite abusive because everybody was doing it, but I, I never really did it. I mean, mm-hmm. um, he, he never lost, and I can honestly say he never lost his cool 
around the horses. Wow. And, wow. You know, even if they were, you know, doing all sorts of things, but he always kind of would chill them out. And, you know, he, he just had a really good temperament for a horseman. And, and so I was, you know, I learned by example, really. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it felt actually, right to you. Very lucky. Yeah, I feel very lucky about that, that I was exposed to some other very good people as well, you know, with training and so on. Yeah. So fast forward, you you find yourself living in Buellton, California with a private pack of foxhounds. So tell us about that. <laughs> well, that was interesting. There was a advertisement in the Chronicle of the Horse for somebody to come and, and basically be the assistant huntsman, field master, that sort of thing for a private pack in California. And it was a, a, a man who owned this private pack and he had, I think, four or 5,000 acres. Um, and but what happened there was, again, I ran into some, he had a huntsman who was very, very rough with the, the hounds and the horses, and he was always beating them and all sorts of things that I just, I just couldn't accept it. He was just awful. And I ended up just saying, look, I'm going to have to report you to the Master <laughs> of Fox Hounds Association. And of course, that didn't make me very popular. I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, not I, I quit. Also, but <laughs> no. Yeah, and also the ASPCA. I mean, it was that yeah. bad. They were shooting horses, you know. Oh, my gosh. Awful, tying them up and stuff like that. His huntsman was doing all this. And, and, and I, I said to the man, look, I don't know if you know this, but this is what's going on. He said, I don't care. They're not my horses that he's doing it to. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, See, so there we go. No, so it goes. Yeah, no um, yeah. yeah and for yeah. you to say this, too, I mean, in England, you know, we get the response quite a bit saying, oh, that doesn't happen anymore. That hasn't happened for hundreds of years when people mm-hmm. are ignorant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not true, right? No, not true. And, um, you know, but he was sort of the typical kind of, very mummied, you know, oh, I think I'll have my own pack of hounds without knowing anything. And so he just decided he was going to get dressed up in a, you know, in a hunting coat and, you know, tell everybody what to do and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it was, uh, and, and I had to ride all those horses for him. Right. Yeah. So we so, have to admonish people to uh, to check these things out before we up, up, uproot and <laughs> go moving. Yeah. But well, I'm glad I that mean, you ended up in San Inez Valley, though. I know. Well, that's how I met Monty was was by chance, you know. Yeah. And um, I was having my hair done in Buellton ah. on a Sunday, and he came in for a haircut. Ah. And um, I recognized something about him because obviously he was very famous in England. And I'm like, that's Monty Robbs. I didn't say anything. And then we struck up a conversation. And I said, well, I'm in rather awful position. I've moved my entire life from Virginia to um, to hear and look, this is what's happened. And so I don't know if you know what happened then, but you know, he said, well, come to the farm and I'll see you ride. And um, that very day, actually. Yeah. And um, they had, by chance, they had six thoroughbred horses that they were wanting to, to place. I don't know if you remember all that. I don't remember the details. Yeah. Oh, you don't? don't. Yeah. Anyway, he had six six very nice thoroughbred horses that were, you know, um, grade one bred. And um, the guy hadn't paid his bill for like... Oh, that part months. I remember. That's right. <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember that part? Yeah. So then that's how we started with... Um, I started to ride some of them and we started a couple as well that hadn't been started at all. 
And um, I said, I think I might be able to place them as actually steeplechase horses in Virginia or hunters, fox hunters. And so, yeah, I did. I mean, I think I sold all six of them anyway. You did. Mm-hmm. I think there were eight, yeah, to Virginia. And um, so that's how it all really started. And then I started obviously being very interested in everything that Monty was doing. And I started with the courses. And But I was still riding and stuff at that point with him, you know, for him around those yeah. young ones. And, um, and then actually my daughter ended up with one of them, which was a lovely mare. Um, that was just a wonderful horse. Um, well-bred, um, well-bred and everything. Yeah, Very, so, very well-bred, beautiful horses. Yeah, mm. yeah, crazy, crazy man who got into the business at the wrong time or for the wrong reasons, I guess. But Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that's what happened. I think that's what yeah. happened. And it happened. nice horses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I'm fascinated too about now, here's, Here's this lady who has basically raised up her family, Francesca, and yes. she she now starts some babies for Monty. And then you mm-hmm. said, well, that's not quite enough for me. And you moved to <laughs> Nevada. <laughs> I well, I know. Um, the thing was that I, I'd done, um, I, I didn't do the advanced course, but I did the others, you know, long lining, join up, all those ones. And I just became more and more interested, um, obviously, in Monty's way. and. I was fascinated by the Mustang language that he'd spoken of and, you know, that that whole um, way of, of being with the horses. And I just thought, well, um, you know, I have a chance to, to be on a farm up there and it happens to be next to the Mustang pens. Oh. I'm going to see what I can do, <laughs> if I can even use any of this that I've learned from Monty already. And, um, you know, just get at least one Mustang um, for $125. And uh, so I picked her out of a big field, you know, a big pen, probably 300 horses. Yeah, yeah, just sort of went from there. But at that point, Monty had said that he wanted us to go away, you know, film everything. Remember that? when Mm -hmm. He used to ask us to videotape everything, the good and the bad and the ugly. Yes. And we were working with these horses. So I was doing that as well, just for my own edification, even though I wasn't doing an advanced course, obviously, but I had to have this job. But, um, yeah, so it, it really morphed from there. But I, I'd been so impressed by everything at Flag Is Up. I was just, uh, it was like entering an, another world. Oh, um, and, yeah, kind. no, I mean, it, it's just really, and I'd worked with a lot of very good riders and people and so on, but this was new. This was well, new. I've, I've been heard fascinated. about it. Oh, thank you. But the, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been fascinated by every once in a while you'll call me up or we'll be on Messenger or something. And, and you yes. tell me about, you know, choosing a horse this time or how you've, how yes. you've gone through this. So tell us what, what mm-hmm. is, what have you done? to you trot over to the holding pens. Tell us that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us what you think about how yes. you pick your horses. And yeah. Well, um, you know, first you're introduced to the, you know, to the Wranglers and they, they say, well, you know, take a look. So I started to take a look at, uh, I actually wanted a mare because I, I like mares. And, um, and so I just hung out at the pen and looked and looked and looked at all these different ones. And then I asked the, the guy if we could drive in there because it's very difficult to get them to trot away from you and come back to you because you know, I wanted to see what sort of moving athletic 
types that were out there. And um, and I picked out a, a few, and um, then they bring them into another shoot area, which is away from all the other horses. And then you can have a closer look, but only from, you know, from the sides. And um, I just, I, I really just look um, as if I was looking for any horse, because I, I mean, I grew up with, with people who were very good judges of horses, you know, confirmation and all that was something I knew about. Um, right. And I, I would choose any horse I would buy, I would have the same ground rules, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Criteria, yeah. Is it, you know, is it pretty correct? Is it, does it have a nice way of going? Yeah, that, that sort of thing. But um, because, you know, I've bought and sold a lot of horses as well. And have, you know, something that has some charm as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. some, a little some demeanor. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just, you know, just the way it looked through the, you know, not through the bridle yet, but, you know, you know what I mean? Right. As far as um, expression, yeah. And I, I just, I found one that I really, really liked. And she's been just wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. What's her name? And, uh, What's her name? What um, do you call her? Actually, her, um, her name is Kachina. Kachina doll. Right. Like the Indian dolls, because we were next to the uh, Indian res there. So the station, yeah. It was yeah. this cute, cute thing so to do. Tell us about the first day when you were actually ready to to take a leg over the top. Because oh, there's a um, lot of time well, I, in between there, I know, but I mean, that's... Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I think I got her at the end of the winter up there, was more or less the time. I think it was March, which is still winter up there. And um, I was so impressed with her because they came and they dropped her off because I was literally, you know, a mile away from the pens. And um, it was snowing, you know, and, and she never made a sound. She was only 18 months old. This little horse. And I thought this is really interesting because Monty always said they don't, you know, they don't want to identify themselves in the wild, you know. And I thought this is amazing. This is incredibly young, you know, colt, and it's not making one sound, which I thought was interesting. I they thought don't it'd call be out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, they usually do, but mustangs don't randomly do that if they've just come in from the wild. I mean, because I guess that's something. They don't want to draw attention, attract, um, you know, attention exactly. to themselves. And I remembered that Monty had said that, you know, the language is silent and this and that. And um, and she was the first example where I couldn't believe this little thing. It never made a sound. Um, and then gradually, she, um, I was amazed by also their hearing and their perception of what's around them, you know, the the, the distance. Uh, for example, once I started opening my front door to feed her, she'd be, her head would come up. And my house was, you know, ways from the round pen. You know, her head would come up. Domestic horse, you wouldn't have heard that, you know. Right. But they just have this amazing radar. Um, anyway, to answer your question is what I did was let her just sort of settle in. And the weather really wasn't riding weather. And I had a, I did, all I had was a round pen up there. And it's mm-hmm. wide, big country. Um, so the first thing I, I just did once she'd sort of settled in a bit was, you know, get the rope off and um, they send them out with a rope and a halter. And I just, you know, I just started join it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so just just the usual things that I would do with any horse. And she, she was she was really quite wild. I mean, she was bucking and, you know, doing all that sort of thing. But 
I could tell she was not an aggressive force. She wasn't she, coming at me or anything like that. She yeah, wasn't. she was probably not born in the holding pens then. She was probably born out. Born in, oh, yeah, she was definitely born out. She came yeah. She came from the Calico range. Ah. Um, and all these different ranges up there. Mm-hmm. Um, the Calico the, is way north, I think, isn't it? Yes, it's it's mm-hmm. another very tough area for the horses. But um, the other thing I really liked about her was, was she was very curious as well in a good ways and we're looking at this and, and, and very She's very curious, aware. is that what you said? Yes, yes. Curious in a good way, you know, just looking at things and coming up to me eventually. I mean it took a while to join up with her though. I mean did it. Yeah, it did. It, is it that a trust thing or was it do you think her language was so pure and difficult or um no, I, I didn't I think it was probably me. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's a good horse girl right there. <laughs> I mean, that was my first Mustang, you know, that wasn't you know a school a horse at Muncie's, you know, so it's a whole different thing, mm-hmm. which was just the raw thing. But I managed, you know, and um, uh, she joined up, and I did all the all the things that I'd learned at, at Flag, you know, the join up, follow up, long lining. Pack on all that sort of thing before, and I you're by it. yourself, Francesca. You're yes. by yourself, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm. As you would. <laughs> yes, you have, yeah, you have no would. no hairy legged boys, as Dad calls them. No hairy legged boys to help you no. out or anything. Okay. <laughs> no, no. But you know, I'd started horses before in England. I mean, I'd start, it wasn't the first horse I'd ever started. I mean, we did all that with you know the event horses and all the riding and jumping I'd done before but this was different obviously and I was doing a lot more than I would have um, you know just sort of domestic horse that knows everything around the yard and you know what I mean it, it, it was just a whole different thing sure. but I, I just um, went step by step and like I said she's very intelligent little horse very easy basically and then eventually I got on her but I, you know I did the top I did the standing still, everything that I knew that I needed to cover <laughs> the wild horse. Well, you but it wasn't on the, yeah, I mean, it was like this, I hadn't done that before, obviously. So that was a bit of a rolling of the dice. But I thought, you know, she didn't give me the feeling that uh, she was going to explode or anything because I'd really covered all all the bases and she wasn't, didn't seem like a complicated horse, you know. Mm. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then I, Slung a polo saddle on her and a, one of Monty's bits and just a just a plain you know bridle and all that after I'd done all the long lining and yeah and I got on her and she was like okay fine yeah. I got on this little mounting block which I like to do to begin with and went around and then I thought you know for two three days I did that and then I thought well you know we've got to get out of this round pen at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually the biggest leap of faith. Because, I imagine. <laughs> I mean, it, how many miles could she go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, and actually, that's another whole story. But okay. um, she, no, I, I didn't fall off her one day. But one day um, after she'd been with us for a while, um, a whole lot of mustangs came through because we were really in the sticks, you know. And and she thought, oh, I think I'm going to go with them for the day. <laughs> She jumped out over a huge Did fence, she? a huge fence, in her turnout blanket, and oh. she was gone for two days. Oh my gosh! Two days, and I'm like, that's no. It was 
actually it was still pretty cold. Oh, good. I mean, we had snow in June up there. Oh, where I was. okay. <laughs> in northern northern Nevada, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not that far from Alton and places. And so she had this light blanket. It wasn't a big one, but um, so I went to, to all the sort of neighbors, who about three of them only, in the valley. I said, "Have you seen this horse?" And, oh yeah, we saw a, a group of mustangs, but there was one with a blanket, blanket. on it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she went all. She went with with them all for a couple of days. You know, over really rocky. You know, just the usual stuff that they have to go through. And she came back. She came. Back. And I thought, wow, you know, I thought that's the last I'd see of her. You know, I mean, yeah. why would she come back? Type of thing. So that was rather made me very happy. Oh, yes. Because why did she come back? Because she loved you yeah, and she trusted and, you and you fed her. So, <laughs> well, I think, I think it had actually really only to do with the fact that, oh, she said, being fed twice a day. <laughs> I think I'll just go she's back smart there. Too. She's, yeah, she's very smart. <laughs> Like she a lot would of not have gone back if you had maltreated her, though. So that's no, that's I guess given. no, I, I guess I wouldn't. But but um, she was. I think I'm going to go with this, you know the, the certainty here, and yeah, she just trotted in into the yard, into the. I mean, it was wide open. You know, she trotted Lovely. up towards the house. She knew where Lovely. she was exactly. Yeah, of course. It's like a movie, exactly like a yeah. lassie or a or a snowy river. You know, it's yeah, sorry, <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, she she'd actually covered. Um, she'd been seen uh, thirty five miles from us. Wow. Well, tell yeah. us about speaking of thirty five miles. Tell us now about mustangs and endurance, because to me, this is okay. this yeah. is a logical extension of your story, and it's fascinating. Yes. Well. To be fair, there was one person about 20 years ago, Naomi, I forgot her second name, but she's, she had a Mustang. She was the first person ever to have a Mustang in the Tevis, which is the hardest, you know, the hardest race, not race, you know, hardest endurance ride in the world, apparently. And she had got to second place, which was unheard of, you know. And then 20 years went past and nobody had a Mustang. And then when I started doing the Mustangs. Um, actually, nobody seemed to have a Mustang either. But suddenly, uh, one guy in California got two or three. And he made his mark doing this pioneer ride where you, you have to, it was 50 miles, and you go with, with nothing extra, just, just what you would do on a 50-mile ride, you know, take with you any of those things. No crew stopping to help you or giving water or any of that stuff. And he won it on, on a, one of these Mustangs that he got from the pens, different pens, but in California. Yeah. And people started to think, oh, well, that's interesting. And then he got a few more. And then Tom Johnson saw mine. He was like, I couldn't believe she was a Mustang mm-hmm. because she's actually quite fine looking, you know, not, mm-hmm. not so heavy. I mean, she's got decent bone, but not the sort of bone that some of them have. And he was like, oh, this is amazing, you know. And, and, and I don't know, it's sort of a trickle of it started to happen. And this guy finally got a couple of these Mustangs to the Tevis Trail itself and completed and ended up in, in the top 10 with both horses. Two Mustangs in and the that, top 10 yeah. of the Tevis. Huh. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, I think and you, he had a... Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. He, he had a girl ride the other one, you know. So they mm-hmm. did it together, and um, and then I, I think I, I told you they have this 
best condition competition at the Tevis, yeah. which, as you said, is is considered almost as important as winning it. You know, because yes. if you can get a horse a hundred miles to the Sierra Nevada, it's just trotting down the road for a hundred miles. I mean, they've been tested in every possible way. Exactly. And um, doesn't it make sense? I mean, Arabs have always been known to be the endurance horse for all the reasons oh, yeah. where they come from, yeah. or where you know how they're bred, all those yeah. things. But it does make yeah. sense that a Mustang has all those attributes, and then here they are, just out of the desert. It's not uh, you know fifteenth generation exactly. now. Yeah. No, no, no. And and but what is interesting as well is they've got fantastic feet. You know, mm-hmm. they've got right. a, a really good confirmation and their foot is a very good foot. If they've survived out there in the you know, wilderness literally on the, all those rocks and stuff. Right. If they didn't have good feet they would just die. Right. Because they just keep moving, you know, those horses slowly across the landscape. Every but, day to get food. Yeah, yeah. just yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know, it's and, the attributes. It's, it's the attributes of mustangs that I think people um, are starting to get onto. These, you know, they're oh, yeah. generous, they're intelligent, they're survivors. They obviously have good feet and good. They live on air, <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. how do how do yeah. you keep the conditioning on your your endurance horses? What is it that yeah. you do differently than you would do with a mustang normally? Well, she wants to be a little bit on the pudgy side. Pudgy, okay. Pudgy, pudgy, fat, whatever you want to call it. But she's always, you know, I developed her into a very strong horse by doing all this long walking up and down the mountains up in Nevada, just walking and walking and walking up and down. And you have to get a base on a horse before you could ever really do an endurance ride. You need a base of, you know, at least, you know, many miles as you can, slow, long days, you know, just doing that. So they get a, a, a good base and their tendons harden up. Everything starts to, to really develop and they start to get muscle. Um, you know, it's very similar really to the way I would have prepared a three-day event horse, mm-hmm. but I'd be just going further. And aerobically as well, um, that is really important to, to get that. Uh, you know, then climbing up the hills and not not getting too blown out. Mm-hmm. Um, all the sort of things that, like I said, I would have prepared a three-day horse with. I mean, um, the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to do that. You know, it's always too you know, walking. That's too too much of a pain. But it's, it's the it's only way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, But I was lucky I had BLM land right there. So I could go for miles and miles as time went on. And she just, she was always extremely bold across, you know, streams or rocks or, you know, she she was she had all the qualities of a nice horse that I ever wanted, you know. Mm-hmm. It bold, you know, just, I was riding her on the buckle, you know, just easy, um, never turned her head away from anything. Mm-hmm. I hope this encourages people to go to the pens and and do what you did and choose yeah. choose horses and and you know take them yeah. take them home from those and whether you want to do a hundred mile race like the Devis or if you just want to have a great trail horse yeah absolutely they're wonderful for any kind of a trail thing they're never going to be as fast um, I think I mentioned that they're never obviously going to have the speed of of, of an hour that can maintain that for long distances mm-hmm. but they take much less out of themselves than an Arab does. 
at right. the end of the day. They, you know, they do conserve their energy. You can you can count on once you have them in a good rhythm, and you know you find the pace that mm-hmm. you want your horse to be going at uh, um, to get to the to the checkpoints within a certain time to the vet and all that kind of thing. You can just keep on the same sort of rhythm, not stopping and starting. Some of the Arabs, you know, they're like spoofing at this. You know what I mean? They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're taking more out of themselves. Um, yes especially at the beginning of these rides. They're just Their minds. charging along. Yes, yeah, yes, I agree. No Mustang would pride. do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't even exactly. picture it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, can people and follow you? Do, you? do you have a Facebook page where people can follow your story, Francesca? Um, yes, I, I do have a Facebook yeah. page, yeah. Follow um, you I've and- got of, yes, I've got lots of pictures in there. Um, mm-hmm. I think the trouble, to be honest, about people going to the pens for endurance horses is that the kind of riders in endurance are, are very amateur. I mean, I hate to say this, but they're not good, you know, good riders. I mean, they're you know champions of weekend warrior types. You know what weekend I mean? Warriors, they, yeah, yeah. But they, they, a lot of them have jobs that they're doing all week, and you know, this is a wonderful way for them to go out and ride. I mean, there are some hardened horsemen out there, but there's an awful lot who really don't know anything and the, the thought of having a Mustang out of the pens they probably wouldn't even know how to choose one but what they're doing now because there's lots of Mustang pages on Facebook is they're saying oh I'm looking for a Mustang must be started must be this must be that you know and so they want one that's made up obviously mm-hmm. and they are selling a lot mm-hmm. But um, you've got to get a good know. trainer for that. So that's why I encourage yes. people to talk to Francesca yes. about this. And you know some of the top yeah. trainers and those that will treat horses yeah. well. And and uh, exactly. so I hope people exactly. will will take that process very seriously. Yes. And and your family is iconic, really, in horsemanship. And I, I'd be remiss not to mention Isabella, uh, your daughter, <laughs> and Izzy, who is just a great <laughs> polo polo. Um, yeah professional now who went to the yes, UV and yes. played with the best and she's is she in Argentina now did you say or headed that way not yet she's not allowed to go down there yet but oh good won, point um, that's true at UVA she she went to that university and, and they won two years in a row of the college championships She's absolutely amazing. Yeah, we have yeah. on our on our Monty Roberts University, we have a few lessons with Isabella on there. People can go on there yeah. and look at the lessons. She has a cute little polo pony who couldn't be caught, but is eventually. <laughs> we yeah. we learn how, and then also she does a couple of polo lessons on there too, just about fitness and um, balance. Right. And she's she's an amazing writer. You have gone generational with this family, well, Francesca. Very it's, proud of you. It seems to be. It seems to me. Actually, my other daughter rides very, very well. Yes. But she she did polo too. But she was more into the hunters, and she's not. You know, she's not made it a career. But she was a natural as well. All good. So, yeah. All yeah, good. Yeah. I love what you're yeah. doing to inspire us to uh, oh. to be better with our yeah. horses. Thank you. you absolutely yes. do. And I hope we will have you back so that we can talk a little bit more about what you're doing in the endurance in Virginia and and how people can follow you along yes yes and i would love to have anybody you know if they want to have help choosing you know going to the pens that, that's what i would recommend is if somebody wants a horse a mustang and but they really don't know how to go about finding the right looking you know choosing one for example it's so overwhelming 
um, I would be more than happy to go to the pens, uh, you know, find any Mustang for anybody. And then That's a great idea. Choose them. Uh, you know, I can sort of advise on various things that they may not know. How do they get a hold of you? Just this phone number or, or my email. Or okay, my we'll put it. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, is it okay to share your email? Yes. Yes. That's okay. Fine. Okay. All I right, really appreciate will. all of this, and thank you very much. Happy to have <laughs> you on and have you back. Hi, Debbie. I just had to write and tell you how much I'm enjoying Monty's podcast on Horsemanship Radio. You and Monty and your podcast guests are my company every evening while I'm feeding, cleaning, and finishing up barn chores for the day. I especially enjoyed the recent podcast 158 because so many of the guys that Monty talked about, and especially Greg Ward, were heroes of mine when I was growing up. It was really fun to be a fly on the wall listening to Monty recount all those stories. And I also enjoyed his discussion with Tanya Johnston about the deer and sigmotaxis. Thanks for all the great information you and your dad are spreading throughout the world. And thanks for making the time doing my barn chores, no chore at all. All the best, Nan Meek. Sarah Maslin Neer is a staff reporter for the New York Times. Neer was a finalist for the 2016 Pulitzer Prize Unvarnished. Her more than year-long investigation into New York's salon, nail salon industry that documented the exploitive labor practices and health issues that manicurists face. Before becoming a staff reporter, Neer's She freelanced for 11 sections of the newspaper, traveling to the Alaskan wilderness in search of people who prefer to live in isolation and to post-earthquake Haiti. She began as a New York Times nightlife columnist, covering 252 parties in 18 months. And then she continued her career that has taken her from covering kidnappings to terrorists in Benin, West Africa, to wildfires in California, and everything in between. She was born and raised as a Manhattanite, and she earned a master's degree from Columbia Graduate School in Journalism, and she graduated from Columbia, where she studied politics and philosophy. Wow. She is the author of Horse Crazy. She loves horses. Well, welcome. I've got Sarah Nier and Monty Roberts on the line, two of my favorite people now, too. You guys are hot, hot, hot. As New York Times uh, gossip is talking about this article that was just in the New York Times, Sarah. And, you know, I, I know that you wrote a book, but it's a bit of a disconnect between the article and the book, Horse Crazy. And I thought we would start with the article a little bit and tell people then eventually why they should buy Horse Crazy. And where are you right now? Well, if you heard that clip clopping go do. past me, I'm actually uh, at a horse show. I uh, have a little bit of a vacation to work on uh, my book, and since it just came out, uh, Horse Crazy, the story of a woman and a world in love with an animal, which chronicles my travels as a New York Times reporter all over the world. Uh, When I'm done, I put away my notebooks officially, and I whip out there and report the stories of horses. Um, So I am on a little break, but of course, since I'm horse crazy myself, uh, my vacation is uh, at a horse show. (laughs) Yeah, of course it is. But are you in New Jersey then? Where's the horse show? I am. I'm in New Jersey. That's where I keep my horses. I live in New York City, but uh, my guys, unfortunately, don't live in Manhattan. Oh, right. Here's another one going by. 
Love it. I love the sound effects. This is this is a, it's not unusual that we have somebody is near horses, but it's often unusual they're watching their horses perform out there while talking to us. So thank you, thank you for taking yep. the time. Well, I, I mean, one of the things that Dad and I were we we always love to ask people why do horses compel you, you Sarah? Well, you know what is it that that we're enchanted with? Sure. So the article you're referring to is an excerpt of a chapter in my book which actually concerns your father, I wanted to understand exactly that question. Why are horses so deeply compelling to me? Why have they been this talisman since I'm two years old and I've returned and returned to them? And so I called your dad out of the blue and he was kind enough to speak with me to ask him why, how do horses speak to each other? And in understanding that, I thought I would understand how they speak to me. And one of the things I grappled with in my life was I was the victim of a robbery in my New York City apartment where a man came through my window and actually stabbed me. I survived, as you can tell, but um, for a while, my sense of safety and my place in the world didn't survive. And I became, I realized through your father's work, uh, Monty, through your work, a prey creature. I became hyper attuned to the world. And Monty, it'd be great if you would speak a little bit about your understanding of uh, the horses as a prey creature through that little deer you had, Benediction, which is the name of my chapter in my book. Wow. Yeah, the name Benediction is a, a bit of a uh, situation that I went through to say to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, who <laughs> actually named him Benediction. <laughs> I said, but he's a little humorous animal. I love him to death, but Benediction is a big, heavy name. Mm -hmm. And she said, Monty, he needs a proper name. And he <laughs> grew up to use his name. And a Benediction is a blessing. And he came to me on my birthday, May 14th mm. of 18. And his birthday was the same day. He was still wet with amniotic fluid from being born. And he was a late implant at three pounds. And my veterinarian on the phone said, don't worry about it. He'll be dead in the morning anyway. These late huh. implants never live. And mm. uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't take it, Sarah. And my wife loaned me a dog crate <laughs> and I put him in there and he did nurse. The veterinarian said he wouldn't even be strong enough to nurse, but he did nurse a little bit. I went to CVS Pharmacy, and I got human uh, formula, and wow. I gave him a bit to drink. And then every two hours for the next, I don't know, six, eight, ten weeks, every two hours I gave him a little bit of food. And he cleaved to me like I was his father, his uncle, his brother, and everything all rolled into one. And mm. his mother came every afternoon to visit him, which... Every uh, professor in the universities will tell you once that you touch a fawn, the mother won't take them back. That's wrong. She, mm. she allowed him to nurse her three times after I took mm. him in. Wow. And um, he's a miracle. So he lived. Mm. And his example of a flight animal paralleled your example of becoming a flight animal because of the situation that you went through. And mm -hmm. you worried, you looked over your shoulder, you traveled as a flight animal, you meant no mm -hmm. harm to anybody, and you hoped no harm to you. 
would come from anybody else. So you became mm-hmm. a flight animal. And if well, it's my- so interesting. I was going to say, so interesting. I, my senses got more developed. I heard everything. I would hear an air conditioner on a building like it was a buzzsaw. And you really explained to me that you, the hearing of that is, is looking for danger. I was so much more aware, much like the survey day. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so, it's so unbelievable what you're saying, Sarah, because I normally sit with them on the north side of our home. And on the Mm -hmm. south side of our home, and it's a very large home, on the south side is a lawn. And these deer can hear another deer walking on the lawn on the opposite side of the house. And how Mm -hmm. do I know that? Because I watch them dart their ears that way and look, and then 30 seconds later, a deer comes around from the other side of the house. Wow. Wow. So you were a flight animal in every sense of the word. And I can tell you that you went through that course not wanting to harm anybody else, but to simply be in a safe place. It was really interesting. I came out of that with an understanding of these prey creatures that we both love so much, horses, much more completely, but also an understanding of myself. And as I write in the book, in the excerpt in the Times as well, that the distinction between us and them, and correct me if I'm wrong, Monty, you know much more about the soul of a horse and probably a human than I, but is that we have a choice. And I, I realized that I had been made a prey creature by this incident, by this man who climbed in my window and stabbed me, but a deer was made a prey creature uh, by Mother Earth. And that understanding that I had a choice, unlike a fawn or a foal, to live that way or not, really uh, helped free me. But so did being around horses. Horses communicate in silence with each other through equus, through a language of gestures, as you call it, and you named it, defined it. And realizing that there was a quiet place to be where I could be heard, so to speak, around them also freed me. Mm-hmm. Well, this, is, this is so incredibly encouraging because... Now I have the next generation, that's you, able to help the following generation to you with these experiences. And I had 72 prepubescent fractures, all by Mm -hmm. a father. And so I was a prey animal. I was a Mm, flight animal. And you and I share that. And hopefully nobody else will ever share that for the rest of time but they will. Really interestingly, in my work, it's very compelling to me that you call yourself the man who listens to horses, which is a distinction from a horse whisperer, right? That's a person who speaks to horses. And as a journalist, it's my job to listen deeply. I always say in journalism, it's not a conversation I'm having. That's a different thing. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's almost a, an absorbing, or you could even say a taking a story from someone else. And I think that ability to listen deeply to horses is what uh, separates the rider from the horseman or horsewoman. I, I think they're two different things. Um, and I think it's really um, a message that you've put out in the world, Monty, that can't go away. You've oh, changed Sarah, how people Sarah, approach these animals. You have no idea how good that makes me feel because when, when my first, when my first, what do you call the people that put out the book? Um, publisher? publisher? When my mm-hmm. first publishers paid their money to me to own the book, they mm-hmm. told me they were going to have to call it the man who talks to horses because uh. 
people would not understand a man listening to horses. And I said, no, I will do mm, everything wow. I can to cancel our contract unless it's listened because listening is the best part of communication. And unless my book is called listening, I don't want to do it. And so wow. they changed and they called it The Man Who Listens to Horses. That has been the project of my life, to follow your teaching with these animals. You know, because when I was a young woman, and I write this in the book, I felt very out of place in that world. You know, you're the son of a cowboy, the son of a cowboy. I'm a daughter of an immigrant Holocaust survivor. I'm Jewish, and I felt these unwritten messages or un unspoken messages that this wasn't my world. And so I sort of yep. blindly followed orders. Who was I to know what was best for a horse? I'm this outsider. I don't deserve to be here. And yep. I write in the book that my early trainer instructed me to remove the water bucket from my horse's stall the night before a competition. And we wouldn't yeah. get the water for 24 hours. Yep. And I yeah. cannot believe, Monty, I think back that this horse tried her heart out for me. And I, as 13 years old, you know, prevented her from slaking her thirst. And it has really been the project of my life to listen to myself and to listen to the horses. Ah, that is so great. And I, I just want you to know, maybe you haven't read about it, but the first horse that ever did a join-up with me was mm. called the No-Name Mustang because he yes, was with I've a group of Mustangs. <laughs> and um, he was with a group of Mustangs, and he showed me some things, and I kept doing what he told me to do. And he joined up and followed me around, a completely wild horse. And wow. I stopped with tears running down my cheeks. And I said, who is going to apologize to this species for hmm. what we've done to them for 6,000 years? They don't mm -hmm. need it. Um, it isn't what we need to do. And can you imagine me going back to the group of cowboys that I lived with and telling them you don't have to be violent to break mm -hmm. a horse and the word well, that's break. why you got so much slack yeah the, the word break yeah. and interestingly you weren't saying anything other than the best practices have been around for millennia but ignored i write in my book about xenophon the 350 yeah. bce greek horse trainer who says essentially what you said a great horseman can make uh, a good horseman can make a horse do it but a great horseman can make a horse perform on its own and out of its own willingness um yeah. and Yet somehow, the violence we threw, we threw all that away. We threw it away. Wild to me, yeah, yeah. Well, really um, interestingly, uh, in my book, I traveled to India and I rode these Marwari horses. Sure. They have these curlicue ears that meet at the top of their their head, and they are sure. just so charming. They look like Dr. Seuss characters. Yeah. And a woman inserted herself into the Indian way of breaking and training these horses, Francesca Kelly. I, I write about her in my book, an English yeah. socialite. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, she changed that um, approach. And yet she did it with a type of aggression, uh, not encouraging their community, but telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. And ended up uh, through a series of strange missteps, leading the English government to, uh, excuse me, the Indian government to ban the export of those horses. So nobody can yep. get a, uh, Indian Marwari out of India because of this woman. Um, incidentally, I, I met her on her Isle of Paradise in Martha's Vineyard, where she has 12 Marwaris. Uh, spoiler uh, alert, she's been smuggling their semen and creating right. an illegal herd outside uh. of India. 
But it's interesting that you have to also encourage humans to be their best. That's my point. It's not about telling either horses or humans. It's about showing and about being a better model in the world. Very good. Yeah, Sarah, you're, you're, Sarah, you're, you're, you're so your right. dad it features so prominently in this, too. And I think he was a great influence on you. I love that he brings mm-hmm. the Polish horse history. I love that you have that in the book. Um, you, you teach us a lot in the book about that, too. And with your dad's side of the family uh, and the Holocaust story, his surviving the Holocaust, sh- how it shaped your family was so interesting how he used horses to show the strength of that. Do you think that this book is like an interpretation of your dad's life story? Because you said, I present it, or his his uh, quote is, I present it as a psychological victory, his life. And I thought, <laughs> you know, your book is like a psychological victory. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I had a friend of the family say that if they were to give a subtitle to my book, it would be Hitler's worst nightmare because yeah. here oh, okay. is somebody who's, whose family yeah. uh, that Hitler tried to erase from this planet who has now um, stepped into the world in a wider way, asserted themselves and tried to make the world a better place, which is exactly what Hitler was trying to, uh, the opposite of what Radicate. he was trying to accomplish by exactly. murdering my grandfather and trying to kill my father. And uh, my father was such a model to me because he had a life message. And I think you'll really like this, Monty. He said his life motto was, let them say no first before I dare tell myself no. And that has guided my life, especially when I found the resilience to listen to myself, which is don't ask for permission, but let them say no first. So many times we, we tell ourselves no first. And you can relate that to horses. I have a problem horse. He doesn't jump. He won't go over the fence. He balks it. You know, try, you know, let them say no first. Don't create obstacles that are insurmountable because very often you can go around them, under them, through them, or you can contract with Monty Roberts and have him show you the way. Very good. So yeah. uh, my dad's motto really guided my life. Uh, let them say no first. And it works with horses too. Well, I, I have to tell you that Queen Elizabeth II is the most influential world leader we've ever had. That's my position and my belief. Mm-hmm. But I have never felt the love for another human being that I feel for you, having never met you, (laughs) shook hands with you, or touched you. I don't know you personally in any way, but I know who you are, and you cannot tell me these things without believing these things. It doesn't work that way. Horses can't lie. We're members Horses of each other's herd. That's what yeah. you're. That's what you're feeling. Yeah, we're members exactly. of the same herd. <laughs> and horses can't lie, and humans mm-hmm. who would utter the words that you do also cannot lie. Mm-hmm. But Queen, Queen Elizabeth II is so intrigued with what you've written, and of <laughs> course, being the namer of Little Benediction, she is enamored with the fact that he's now world famous when he was just a little incidental deer that should never have lived. Um, well, Monty, the message there, the, the message there is none of us is just a little incidental deer that should never have lived. True. So true. And <laughs> I'll accept my knighthood also, now, Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also true that as these individuals, we are, we simply owe it to the next generation to try to show them 
what we've discovered because our world is so twisted up right now and we are so mm-hmm. separated by our thoughts and our our decisions for our life that we need mm-hmm. to come together and actually i have always said through my career we need people to come from outer space to be enemies of ours so that the world would then come together against the em- huh. enemies and i believe that god has sent us covid <laughs> covid-19 <laughs> to to pull us together that's from outer space it's come to huh. us and maybe we can pull together through something like that to become mm. closer to one another and realize that life has so many positives when you take violence out of it absolutely beautifully said um and i'd go a little bit further i think you know, God, higher power, whatever you want to call it, sent us animals for that, right? We can model our behavior on them. They are without guile. They are without anger. Uh, they exist in a different plane that we can aspire to. And I think being students of them improves people uh, dramatically. And for me, the, the subject is horses. Um, but I think you can focus on their interplay and their dynamics of many different species um, and learn to be our, our best selves. Last question, Sarah. I, I'm curious about the cover, the book cover. Um, I love the little girl. People should look for it. A little girl free on a horse at liberty in, in the water. It looks like the ocean. And mm-hmm. I wondered if, if there's some significance to it. It, 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 yeah. re- it reads like a mindfulness, a hold your space. Well- Mm-hmm. It's a Go terrific ahead. question. That um, picture is actually the Marwari stallion that I rode into the sea off of Cape Pogue Bay, off of Martha's Vineyard. It's the same oh. one, Nazrana, the one who was smuggled. Uh, well, he came legally, but his brothers and sisters are all illicit fruit. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. But I, what I liked about that image is that you don't see the little girl's face, and I want people to imagine um, it could be them. And in the book, I explore, uh, she, she's white, Caucasian, the little girl. And in the book, I explore the story, the erased legacy of the black cowboy. So you know, my only issue with that cover is that it's a white little girl, but I want her to be faceless so that anybody can see themselves in her because horses are democratic. Horses don't care what you look like, what your race is, whether you're the daughter of an immigrant Jew or a centuries-back cowboy, they accept you for who you are. So the facelessness of that picture was really important to me. And I will Mm -hmm. tell you, if you have the jacket in your hand, underneath the dust jacket is a little surprise for readers. If you peel off the dust jacket, there is an imprint in gold of a little foal dancing And that is by the same artist who collaborated with the famous equestrian author, Marguerite Henry. His name's Wesley Dennis. And I purchased it from the estate because Marguerite Henry spent her life sharing the story of horses. And I wanted to uh, take a little flame off her torch and hold it for myself. So that little treat of that golden foal is hidden under the cover. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And that would look great (laughs) even without the the jacket. That would look great on a shelf. I know. So the book is horse tattooed. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, I don't don't know whether you know this or not, but Pat and I have 47 foster children. And Mm -hmm. one of those foster foster sons was born in Jaipur in India. Mm, Wow. And his name is Satish Simar. And Satish mm-hmm. Simar was nuts about horses, and he bugged his family. They had a lot of children, and he mm-hmm. was a big wheat farmer, the father, in, mm-hmm. in India. 
And this young boy, Satish Simar, just drove him crazy and came from India to live with us here and grow up here on this farm. And wow. uh, then, then he became very successful horse trainer. Mm. And wow. he's back in Dubai now. And he's the leading trainer of all time in Dubai with sex. Wow. Six national championships in Dubai, uh, training racehorses, but he breeds back in India, Mavwari horses. And he uh. asked Pat, my wife, to do a sculpture of a Mavwari horse, which she oh, has wow. done. And it's a part of yeah. her collection of, uh, of sculptures. So I know from where you come and I've been there myself <laughs> and I, I have seen good and bad horsemanship in India and I, I love the Mavari horses. They're, they're beautiful and they're unique to my world. But uh, Satish Simar, remember that name? You can look him up. He's fantastic sure. and, a, and a foster son. Wow. So, uh, can I be one of so... them? Can I be the 48th? Mm, yeah. <laughs> what about that? <laughs> <laughs> Me and yeah. You're an easy keeper. You're an easy keeper. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been but, totally terrific. <laughs> yeah. Thank you but, for joining but us. Sarah, yeah. I, I want to make it clear to all the listeners, and we apparently have a lot of them with this thing that my daughter does, Debbie. So I want to be a part of helping wherever I can to make this book as popular and as full-blown as I can possibly make it. Whatever I can <laughs> possibly do to help you, I will wow. try to do. I'm absolutely Well, so you've already... Um, filled its pages in my soul with so much insight. I think you've done more than enough, but I will accept all. So the book is called Horse Crazy, the story of a woman and a world in love with an animal. It's available everywhere books are sold. So I highly suggest buying it at an independent bookstore so you can support your local community. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at Horse Crazy the Book. And it's me running it, so I often respond to people directly. But uh, it's, it's out in the world galloping around. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us to be part of that. Thank you for everything as well, both of you, to your whole family. And the horses and deer included. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the Dear Monty, I'm attempting to separate my gelding from his stablemate. He has severe separation anxiety. What do you suggest? Monty's answer. Dear Roxanne, don't leave him alone. My best advice is to take him to a neighbor's place where they have a safe holding facility and leave him near other horses to begin the process of separation. If it is absolutely necessary to leave him alone, he must be left in the safest possible stable and do that only if there is no other alternative. Separation anxiety is rapidly becoming one of the most important remedial problems of our time. I suppose with properties becoming smaller and horses being kept in close proximity, this bonding process is becoming more and more pervasive. Horses are herd animals. They rely upon the presence of other familiar animals to feel safe. It might be a goat or a sheep, cat or dog. 
People can even be a calming influence if the horse regards the person as a friend. There's a lesson in this somewhere. Read my textbook from my hands to yours as it will expand on many details that I'm not able to include in this question and answer format. Please read chapter 10, page 178, containing details on separation anxiety. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. October 12 through 16, we have upcoming the Monty Special Training. And then we have another Horse Sense in Healing, October 23 through 25, and November 13 through 15, and December 4 through 6. Those are all Horse Sense and Healings at Flag is at Farms and Solving. And then Advanced Planning, we have another Monty Special Training, February 2021, February 8th through 12th. And we will have Portuguese translation there, too. Lots going on at Flag is Up mm-hmm. Farm, and you can find all that and more at MontyRoberts.com. MontyRoberts.com will get you to the Monty Roberts Equus Online University, will it not? It will. There's a button right at the top of the tab. Right the That's the nice part, and the, the new website is beautiful and easy to navigate, but it's all in one place. If you want to look at and learn about or purchase products like DVDs or dually halters mm-hmm. or long lines, that's at MontyRoberts.com. If you're interested in the Monty Roberts Online University, where there are a bajillion videos (laughs) on how to do great things with your horses and solve problems, Mm -hmm. that's at MontyRobertsUniversity.com. If you want to join the forum where uh, like-minded folks get to chat with each other, that's at MontyRoberts.com. If you want to look at what's coming up on the schedule, that's at MontyRoberts.com. If you want to enter a one of the classes at Flag is Up Farms. That is at MontyRoberts.com. Have I missed anything? <laughs> probably. There probably are more things. We have a huge site. We really do. But we, Everything but, uh, is at MontyRoberts.com. I love how Everything you happens at MontyRoberts.com. You didn't overcomplicate it by separating it all. Diff- it's it's right there in one place. Thank you. Yeah, I know. The, the person who did the website is amazing. Her name is Yvette, and she just did a beautiful job. And we're, we think it's pretty user-friendly, even for us horse people, even which is horse people. You know, we sometimes hard that. to do. That's yeah, right. we do. And if you would like to speak with a lovely kind and knowledgeable human being right there at Flag is Up Farms. You can call 805-688-6288. And during regular business hours, please. Yeah, on the Pacific Coast. On the Pacific Coast, because you guys are in beautiful Solvang, California. Thank you. Yes, we think so. There you go. And for details about today's show, episode 167, go to horsemanshipradio.com and you're going to find links, photos, and more information about today's guests and topics. And we love your feedback. We'd love to hear from you on the Facebook page, Monty Roberts on Facebook. You can post there, like it, love it, follow it, post it, comment. All those things are great. And Monty Roberts, he's up to speed on all social media, on Twitter, as well as Instagram. His handle is Monty underscore underscores that dash that goes in the bottom, Roberts. Yep. And... Don't forget about the app, because that's my favorite part. That's the app, the favorite part. Horse Radio Network has its own app, so that you can pick and choose which shows that you subscribe to. In other words, when you subscribe, that means they automatically download to your phone, and you don't have to go fussing with it. You can do it one show at a time. You can pick one show, five shows, ten shows, because we have 17. Or Mm -hmm. you can hit the all button, 
and it's available for Android Ooh. and iPhone. Just go to your app store. Yeah, it's great. And, and you know, you can stream it, too. You don't actually have to download them. Some people do, if they don't have internet at the barn or something like that, then they do want to download them. And then, you know, you're going to fill up your phone. So go ahead and delete them after you've downloaded them. If you don't want to keep them, fill up your phone if anybody's worried about that. But you can stream if you're anywhere near a Wi-Fi um, or even on my cell, I can stream it, too. So then it just, I listen and it goes away. It's yeah. really cool. And you can yeah. also do it via any podcatching device. You can do it iTunes. You can do it with Spotify. Right. All those guys out there, if that's what you already have on your phone, use it. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this, you probably accomplished that. But <laughs> you got to help your other friends too, right? That's right. Help them. So many thanks to our sponsors too who help us. And that's Finish Line Fencing and Monty Roberts University. And, you know, the Horse Radio Network helps us get all this done. I appreciate it. Be sure to visit all the other great shows at Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 